The summer after my junior year of college, I was a counselor at a Girl Scout camp just outside Williamsburg, Virginia. Given my great maturity and advanced age of 20 whole years old, they made me a unit leader. I was directly responsible for 25 to 30 girls who were 9 to 11 years old, with maybe two counselors working under me who were about 16 years old. This meant that I was to keep track of the paperwork. I became the ultimate resolver of all kinds of endless disputes with the counselors and the kids, on and on. And I was responsible for the EpiPen, praying that I would never have to use it. I don't like needles. And when I say camp, I mean that we actually camped in tents, outside in the heat, with the humidity and the mosquito swarms that are not so unlike what you have here in Oklahoma. We did, however, eat most of our meals in a mercifully air-conditioned dining hall, except for one night of the week where we would cook out and have dinner at a campfire at our own campsites. Now, the girls usually loved that night. Each of them had jobs, mixing and chopping and preparing their meals, getting the fire ready, eagerly awaiting their dessert. Of course, the best part of the meal. And this went off without a hitch. Every week, every week except one, when the sky was just a shade grayer than I would have hoped, not to be deterred, I and my other counselors urged the girls, keep on chopping, keep on prepping, even as the rain started to come down. It started slowly at first, which gave me ample room to hold out hope that we would have this special treat. But before too long, it was pouring down. One by one, the girls and the other counselors retreated to our shelter to wait out the storm. And I don't know why, but I refused to give up on our campfire meal. No matter how much it rained, I was determined to feed my girls to follow through and do whatever it took to get them what they needed. No one should go to bed without supper. As it happened, the dinner menu for that evening called for cherry cobbler, which was made in a Dutch oven, which is a huge cast iron pot. And this pot covered over enough of the fire that I could actually slide their foil dinners underneath it and cook them sheltered in the flame and the coals. And so there I was, soaking wet, turning over the dinners while 30-ish girls were looking at me like I was nuts. But before too long, the meals were cooked. I got them out of the fire and we ate together. But just as we started to eat, the assistant camp director came by in a golf cart offering us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner. We don't need that, I proclaimed proudly, dripping all over the ground. As it happened, no other campsite had finished preparing their dinner, just us. For me, that was a really good day at work. I was beaming. I felt accomplished, powerful even. I provided for my people when no one else could. But if I'm being totally honest, I can sort of hear Kohelet looking over my shoulder and laughing, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the hard work that they work so hard at under the sun? 
I busted my tail. I got filthy from tending the fire. I was smeared with ash and sweat and rain. And after all that, the assistant camp director was bringing food anyway. <laughs> Did that work really matter? But does anyone else even remember it except crazy, weirdly proud me? Did it matter at all? We don't usually talk about work at church. If we do, we talk more about vocation and calling, about the works of service that are part and parcel of the Christian life. But our jobs are a huge part of our lives. We spend, on average, 90,000 hours at work over our lifetimes. And according to a study or a survey from 2010, 80% of people are dissatisfied with their jobs. 80%. In another survey that came out just last year, only 6% of the adults polled said that they had achieved their dream job. Work takes up a huge portion of our lives, of our identities, and it seems like most of us aren't too happy about it. And so Kohelet's question is important for us today. What do workers gain from all their hard work? As we read Ecclesiastes, we follow the moral, spiritual, philosophical journey of the one who is called Kohelet. Now, Kohelet means a person who speaks before the assembly, which is usually shortened to preacher or teacher in English. Kohelet has seen people working themselves to the bone, and Kohelet has indulged in every pleasure and built buildings and planted vineyards and chased after wisdom each time, wondering, did it really matter? The passage we have from Ecclesiastes this morning is a response of faith to that question of meaninglessness. It comes right after the much more often cited verses for everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. You know them, I'm sure. Having considered all of this, Kohelet marvels, everything is beautiful in its time. But God has also placed eternity in our hearts. We work hard. We succeed. We fail. We dream of better lives, better days, better work. But through it all, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And we don't get to know exactly how it all began or exactly how it will end. But God does. And that means that our work can carry a hope of impact and purpose. Our failures and missteps will not destroy the possibility of goodness moving forward. Whatever God does lasts forever, and as we live and as we work, we are a part of what God does. And so Kohelet tells us, I know that there's nothing better for workers than to enjoy themselves and do what's good while they live. This is the gift of God that all people should eat, drink, and enjoy the results of their hard work. Basically saying, enjoy yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a message that I'm used to hearing from Scripture or in a lot of churches. Enjoy yourself and do what's good. That includes work, too. Kohelet is encouraging us to look for the joy in the work that we're doing, 
to see that work as a gift connected to the gift of God and to our communities and to the world. Now, back in the ancient world, we know they didn't really have choices about their work. They had the work of the farm, the garden, the metal worker, the mason, the chef. They apprenticed and usually worked within the household or at a particular trade. Nowadays, we have more choice in what we do and how we fill our days. Our work, paid and unpaid, can feed our spirit too and remind us of God's glory. As I mentioned earlier, many are in jobs they don't like, and I'd bet most every one of us have had jobs in the past, at least, that felt like torture. We all have at least one, right? <laughs> but so we, we, we tend to look forward to rest and vacation and retirement. But according to the Bible, we were made to work. In Genesis 2, when God creates the world and, and then creates Adam, Scripture says that God put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Adam, the world's first professional gardener of the entire globe. It's a big job. In our Isaiah passage, we hear a prophecy about God creating new heavens and a new earth. And, and this is a phrase that puts us in mind of the kingdom of heaven come to earth, the final restoration, the paradise that we call heaven. Isaiah 65 is a beautiful vision of peace, joy, gladness, and rejoicing. But it has a few unexpected details. People will build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And it says we shall long enjoy the work of our hands. As far as descriptions of heaven go, this is a pretty far cry from what we usually see. The sleepy saints dressed in white floating by on a cloud shaped like a lazy boy, I'm sure, with a harp in hand. In this paradise, even the wolf and the lamb go out to eat together, and it seems like they both make it home safe, which is pretty good. Isaiah tells us that in heaven will work too. But there won't be an impatient, unpleasable, yelling boss. There won't be drought and famine and small critters nibbling away at the fields. There won't be wars or hatred or violence. The vision of heaven that Isaiah received is one where we take on the projects that we love without our health or energy slowing us down. This vision is one where we can build and create, enjoy and marvel, explore and uncover without fear of danger or things just coming apart before our eyes. We like rest and vacation, but on a long enough timeline, it's hard for most of us to just sit still, to be totally unengaged. It's hard for most of us to run up against our earthly limitations that restrict the ways that we can follow what we're passionate about, what gives us life. Kohelet wondered, does our work matter? The Lord answers every time, yes. Who we are, what we love, what we can imagine does not ultimately come to nothing. Indeed, it's one of the ways we are made in God's image, part of God's own creative spark. And so keep your campfire burning in the rain. 
Know that your gifts and efforts are blessed by God and share what you've been given wherever you can, knowing that heaven will be full of life. Amen.